This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Welcome to Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. And after about eight months of uh, getting rid of stuff, packing, uh, moving into my dad's place, getting rid of more stuff, uh, fixing and painting the exterior, getting rid of even more stuff... Uh, painting the red room uh, and other rooms in the hallway in the house, uh, putting the house on the market, getting through the showings, and then finally getting and then accepting an offer, then uh, fixing a water leak, then fixing another water leak. Uh, We finally, last Tuesday, the house is sold. It closed It's done. We no longer own that house that we had owned for just over 23 years. Lived in for under 23 years because we moved in with my dad for a while. We owned two houses, I guess, sort of, for a while there. And it's just been... You know, all the way along, our realtor would say, okay, you can get a little more excited uh, as far as, you know, once the offer was accepted and then that process, that way along, I should say, uh, he was saying, yep, you can get a little more excited, but let's be reserved. So when the day finally came, he sent Amy and I a text. And this was, uh, we knew that the, that the new owners would be at the title company at 3 o'clock at that afternoon. And so we figured sometime around 3.30 we'd be hearing something. Because it probably wouldn't take more than a half hour to do all the you know, signing of the paper and such. And we were right. Just a little bit after 3.30, uh, yeah, just a little after 3.30, uh, we got a text from our realtor saying, okay, um, you can go to 100 now. And Oh, I might have forgot to mention to you, we were on a scale of 100. Yeah, he, he made us think we were on a scale of 10. So so we went to 100. I said, it's done? He says, it's a done deal. It's what? <laughs> and, you know, we were just, okay, okay, great. You know, this is great, great, this is great. And uh, so we open up our apps for, uh, you know, each Amy and I, we open our apps for... Uh, our credit union, where the money was being wired into. And and we looked to see, as well, okay, there's nothing there. Well, you know, it, it, it's not going to be right away. It's, it's going to take a little time. So, okay. I, so I, uh, I said, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll walk the dog. So I took Edna out for a walk. And I guess I got a text from Amy as we were walking, uh, but uh, as Edna and I were walking. And, uh, uh, but I didn't, you know, didn't feel the buzz in my pocket from the phone. Didn't notice it. But I got back to the house. Open the door, and she said, "It's in there." <laughs> I mean, almost. Pres- it, it was. It was like within a minute or two, an hour after we were told the deal was done, the money was in our account, and something we didn't understand uh, about wiring in money when you when you do that, that it's it's instant. It's right away. It's there. You know, a lot of times, you know, you'll you'll deposit your check, and then you look, and it'll say that it's pending. And then eventually, then it'll go in. Or there's a, uh, uh, we got our uh, federal income tax refund, and that we had that direct deposited, and it was, we see that oh, there's the money, okay, but it's saying it's pending, and it does give a date at which, for this, it doesn't always do that, but this time it gave a date saying, you know, by the uh, whatever day it was, uh, it will be, it will be in our, you know, it'll be usable funds, available funds. But no. I mean, boom, it was there. And I'm not telling you how much it was, but it's a 
good amount of money. And I can tell you that, you know, Amy and I have never had a good amount of money. And now we do. So we do have, you know, we, we, we well, you got to pay off, uh, got to pay off the credit card, which was, you know, pretty charged pretty well. <laughs> uh, I wrote the check for it. And uh, I'll get it in the mail Monday, and that'll be paid. Uh, we will get another little bit because there was a couple charges we had to put on there um, after the billing cycle had ended. So, you know, there'll be a, a couple hundred bucks or something. But th that'll be nice. And then we have this tree that we had cut down in our backyard, which uh, that was part of the getting ready to sell the house. Uh, well, we've been paying for that. Well, we're going to get that paid off. And, you know, there was some... Um, Something we wanted to do, I think I might have mentioned this on the show, uh, when Amy and I were, we, you know, the house is up for sale and it's, you know, we're just kind of figuring what we're going to do and, how, and, you know, my dad um, had died. So, so we were, you know, becoming the owners of that house. And I said, you know, when we have all this, when it's all settled, when we have the money from selling the house and all that, we should go on a trip. We should go somewhere. And, you know, and I suggested uh, the UK, you know, go to London. You know, and Amy found a, t a tour trip kind of thing. And that's how, yeah, I know there's the thought of, of going someplace and just kind of knocking around and figuring it out on your own. There's that. And there's the going to one of these tours. And the tour is, you get some free time to do stuff on your own. But for the most part, the tour has it has it figured out for you that this is where we're going and you, we're going to see this and you're going to do, I, I just wanted that. I wanted it to be simple, you know, but this tour is, is kind of spending, but we hadn't done anything. Amy and I didn't have a honeymoon. We didn't, you know, we did, we haven't done any kind of a big trip. We've had a couple little things here and there, but uh, nothing big. And so, oh, you know, I said, let's do that. So we're, you know, we put the down payment on that. And uh, we'll pay the rest of it soon. And I bought myself a copy of Avengers. It's a comic book. <laughs> Avengers number one, which should arrive Monday. Uh, I spent a fair amount on it. Uh, it was, you know, the issue came out in 1963, about a year before I was born. And I'd been collecting Avengers comic books for years. And I'd gotten... Uh, to a point where we, I decided to, I had a sizable collection of comic books in general, about 4,000 or so. And I decided, well, I need to, I got too many. Let's get, you know, so I sold off a whole bunch of them. Uh, now I'm at about 2,100, 2,200, um, something like that. And uh, I, um, when I culled the collection... Uh, I decided for the Avengers, I just, I'm just going to have the first 200 issues. That's that's what I'm going to say. I had a few issues above that. No, it's that you know, after issue 200, the I th in my opinion, the title began to slip in its interest. Now that could have just been me, you know, interest for me. That doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't really good. But they did put an artist on there that, oh, God, so bad. He must have been drawing 20 pages an hour. He was just, I mean, that's the only reason I can think of why the guy got the job, because he was fast. He had to be fast. Not a great artist. I'm not going to say his name. But just, it's like, you, after having artists like John Byrne working on it, and, and George Perez working on the title, and even someone like Sal Buscema, and, you know, but John Buscema, of course, uh, you know, after having these kinds of artists working on such a big book, and then to go to this guy, who's, he's a better inker than he is an, you know, a penciler. Ugh. Just, ugh. <laughs> it's, it's, I just, and each month, I, I'd still, I had a subscription or something, and each month, another issue would come out, and it's, that's still there. Can you not, can you get somebody else on here? Can you get somebody else that's good? You know, somebody else, but no, I, I, and it just, anyway. So I, so I'll, I'll have the first 200 issues of the Avengers. And I, for the longest time would say, yeah, I've got all but two of the, uh, of the first 200 of the Avengers. 
and the two I'm missing are number one and number four. Number four is a big issue because that's the reintroduction of Captain America to uh, Marvel comic books. He had been he had disappeared sometime in the fifties, and uh, then they they brought him back, uh, and that's a big issue worth a bunch of money. And I bought that. I might have mentioned that on the show. I bought that, so I have that. And so and that was with uh, some uh, gift money that was given from uh, given to the employees. We got a fair we got a good amount of money as a gift from uh, from our old boss as he was retiring, and that you know which is. <laughs> That's incredible, and I told Amy we're going to treat this as fun money. This is fun money. We're not going to, you know, we're just going to get stuff that we want. Anyways, I, I think I've told all that. So now I got Avengers number one coming. It's in good condition. I was able to make a, a an offer on it. You know, they had it at a price and or, or uh, at a price or best offer, and I gave you know I knocked a couple hundred bucks off the price, and they said, "Would you take this?" And they said, "Yeah," <laughs> and so I've got it coming. So yeah, and then uh, I've decided to that original piece of artwork that I got I talked about last week, uh, the John Byrne page from. Uh, the, Sensational She-Hulk, issue number 46, page 16. I brought that out to Michael's Crafts. I don't know how national Michael's Crafts is, so if you guys know about it or don't, but it's a, it's a you know, get all kinds of stuff there. Art material, uh, needlepoint stuff, frames for pictures and that. You can get things framed, matted and framed. And I said, I want to get this page matted and framed. And I brought it out. To, to Michael's and I brought the you know go up to the counter where there's the person that deals with you know getting you set up to mat and frame a up a, a piece of art and there's something strange about how Michael's prices things and I look around and I see that you know uh, they have like frames you know, like little, they have little corners of it, so they can show you the example of, you know, they can give you kind of an idea of what they, they frame your artwork with just like one corner with the, with the mat that you've picked, and then with a little bit, a corner of a frame. This might be a good one, and, you know, so I picked one and, and looked at it, but all over the, the walls, there's these little red signs that say 70% off, or 80% off. It's all over the place, right? And, and anytime I've been to Michael's and gone by the the framing department. Now, not that I've gone to Michael's very often, but every now and then, I see those same signs. It's like okay, it's it's like it's on sale in, per, in perpetuity. It seems. So she, the the gal I was working with, she, you know, has me pick the kind of glass I want to use to put on that. I picked I picked one, and you know, and just go through that process. And so she's writing it up on the computer. And then she turns the screen to me to show me the pricing. And the top price, you know, right there, the top, it's got the, the grand total is over $500. Uh, uh, okay, but she said, but with the discounts, and the discounts amounted to almost $360. <laughs> Something like, I, three, seriously? Really? And so then my total was like 166 bucks. So figure out the math of what the top price was I can't remember but I I, I wanted to say to her why not why why go through this little dance or whatever this is why we why don't you just make the prices because you always have these things on they're always discounted you know does anybody pay the full price ever so if nobody pays the full price ever then that's not the price. The price is your discounted price. So why not just make the things cost what they cost? I, I, you know, <laughs> or, you know, why not, you know, why not, you know, just the, the price of this at 70% off is the cost of it. it. That's the price. Why not make it that? I does it. It's weird. It's a weird practice. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know the marketing behind it. There's got to be some kind of thinking behind it. That it's you know you, you, maybe they charge more to do framing than other shops that you could bring it to, 
and maybe like shops that do that are specifically set up to frame art or frame pictures and that and and then since michael's isn't exactly set up for it they may they, they might charge you know that's not their only thing that they do they might charge more than some shop but they so what they decided to do was to make the price even more high so that their final price when they take everything off might still be more than some other shop but it's wow look at how much money i saved maybe is that it i don't know seems kind of cynical but is that it I mean, I was told by somebody I work with that, oh, no, you should have got it. You're still paying too much to get it framed. You know, I don't know. 166 bucks is okay for me. So, you know, especially now that <coughs> rolling in money. Oh, yeah. Buy and sell you. <laughs> no, not really. Not really. Don't ask for money because I'm not going to loan you any or give you any. We need the money. So, uh... Yeah, it, it, so finally, the house is sold. We're able to do a little something with the money. And we're going to take a trip. Now, this trip is going to be next September. And <laughs> my wife, um, I, I thought it was going to be like a couple weeks or a 10-day thing. It's 20 days. 20 days? Oh, okay. Told the bosses, you know, this trip is going to be 20 days. And they said, that's fine. That's fine. You can do that. Okay. All right, well, I think what I'll do now is I'll run to a break. I think I've been only on for a little bit, but what the heck? I can do my breaks whenever I want to. It's my show. I mean, I don't really have to do breaks, but I kind of have to because I have to sit and, you know, not talk for a little bit and keep the voice, you know, nice and, you know, clean and, and not get a rough throat, you know. Don't want to be doing that. So so I take a little break and uh, and rest. So uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio. On the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. And I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. And I will come back after this break. Z-Talk Radio is committed to bringing you the best radio possible. We will test your senses with innovative and entertaining radio programming. Honest, informative, inspirational, and on occasion, controversial. Our listening audience will also have the opportunity to interact with the show hosts and guests through live chat and call-in capabilities. You can't be left out of the loop. Tune into all our live shows once and you'll never turn your computer off again. Z-Talk Radio on your computer dial. Your healthy addiction. Okay, I have something here. It's it's an EVP. I'm telling you, it's really something. Um, I need to call it up. I got to tell you, this is uh, really shaking me. I need to play it for you. And uh, well, I won't. Uh, I won't prejudice your mind as to what you're going to hear. I won't prime the pump. Just have a listen. Get out! Did you hear it? Did you hear it? I, I, I think that was clear as day. I heard... Well, I don't understand it, but it's, I heard bread trout... Clear as day. Ooh, creepy. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network. I'm Mick West. In my podcast, Tales from the Rabbit Hole, I've extended conversations with people who have been involved in conspiracy culture. I do this for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because it's really interesting. These people have great stories about how they fell down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole, what they did down there, and what it was that helped them out. Sometimes I also talk to people who investigate conspiracy theories, and they have equally fascinating stories from the other side. Secondly, I want to understand how best to prevent the spread of conspiracy theories and misinformation, which is an increasing problem in a time when alternative media is exploding. The best way to do this is to communicate effectively with the people involved, and the best way to do that is with a nice long chat. 
check it out. Tales from the Rabbit Hole. TFTRH.com Hey, this is Danny Potts from the Kentucky Ghost Chasers, and you're listening to Z Talk Radio. And I am back. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Let's see. I have something that I haven't uh, done in a while. Uh, let's get to the little moment here. Here we go. I have one of these. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's Now, it's, a, it's, it's an ARG. It's, I'll, admittedly, it's a bit of a minor ARG. But ARGs are things that just really annoy me. And uh, even though this is a bit of a minor one, it still really annoys me when I, when I see this happening. And uh, it's... Uh, 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 you remember, remember there used to be these things called the uh, TV... You know, like news magazines on television? Yeah, there was uh, uh, like 2020 and 48 Hours and Dateline. Oh, I know you're saying, hey, they're still there. They're still out there. Yeah, but they used to be news magazines that would cover a couple of stories, three stories. Uh, they would be more like 60 minutes. 60 minutes usually has about three segments, three different stories on uh, in an episode, and they still do that. Uh, you know, 60 minutes is still that same basic format that it's been for decades. And as far as I know, it still is a pretty highly rated uh, show. But these other ones, Dateline, 48 Hours, 2020, they were like that, more like that. 48 Hours might have been a little bit different, but uh, 2020 and Dateline used to be much more like what 60 Minutes was. It would be a news magazine. There'd be several stories that they would cover in an episode. Maybe, you know, like I said, maybe three stories. But but at some point, the producers of these programs realized that true crime is where it's at. So we're just going to do, you know, the husband murdered the wife show each week. You know, it's just, I know it's not always the husband murdering the wife, but there's some murder mystery and, and you know, they, they follow this along as to who did it and all that kind of stuff. And that's fine. I like true crime kind of stuff. So it doesn't bother me that that's what they've done. I mean, it's what they do to get viewers. And, and as long as they're, you know, not lying to the viewers, like the History Channel does with all their ancient alien bullshit, uh, which are just straight up lying to their audience that by even suggesting that aliens did any had uh, done anything here on Earth at all, you know, space aliens. They, they just haven't. We've never been visited. Uh, it, the chances are extremely unlikely that we ever will be visited because space is just too goddamn big. It's just too big. But I'll talk more about that in a little, in a little while on a, on a related topic. But anyway, so they're doing the true, true crime stuff. And my wife likes to watch that every now and then if there's nothing else on. And I kind of, and I, like I said, I like it too. So I'll, I'll watch it too uh, with her here and there. And we, we were noticing something, or I noticed something, about 2020 and how they do their true crime show now. Uh, there's a certain language, visual language, to news magazine shows and you know like a reporter is interviewing somebody sometimes it's a it's a sit-down interview where they'll show you the the you know as it's getting set up where they're going to be sitting down to each other talk to each other like there's one chair here one chair there they're facing each other and you get the there's a camera that looks at the interviewer and there's a camera that looks at the person being interviewed and you you understand that when the person being doing the interview is talking, they're not looking straight at the camera. They're looking at the person they're talking to because the person's right there, right? So, so you understand that language. And then, when whenever there's a, a sometimes sometimes there's a person being interviewed by a producer. They're not being actual interviewed by the actual person that's on the TV uh, uh, presenting the information. Sometimes it's a producer that sits down with them. I myself have been in one of those things. I tried to find it on YouTube, but I can't find it. But years ago, years and years ago, 
Uh, I was on you know a local news, uh, a local channel. Their Sunday morning kind of news magazine, not exactly you know, it, it just be interesting stories kind of thing. And the guy that that uh, was the host of that show was a newsman, uh, a TV newsman for a long time. It goes way back, and you know he's been gone for a long time now. But um, uh, Dave Moore and Dave Moore had this. He was an I think he was an actor before he became a TV newsman. So he had that a little bit of that going on. Uh, he, you know, he would do little skit kind of things for his show. It just, it, it just, that's what he, you know, he had, it was called More on Sunday. <laughs> Maybe I'll be able to find it because it just dawned on me that's what it was called. More on Sunday. M-O-O-R-E. More. <laughs> but, you know, we just say More on Sunday. Yeah, I'll tell you, they, they ain't too bright on Sundays. Anyway. I was on there because of the St. Paul Pioneer Press newspaper had this section called the Bulletin Board, which I know I brought up here before, and I used to be a fairly uh, regular contributor to that. I usually would call in with the commercials that would drive me nuts. I had pedantic moments even way back then. And uh, and so they were doing a report on this seg segment of the newspaper. And the the editor for the, for the Bulletin Board called me and said, would you be willing to be interviewed for it? And I said, sure. So they sent out a producer who sat down with me and asked me some questions, and they had a camera set up on me. So that bit of language. And then it, when they put it on the More on Sunday, they would have Dave Moore introduce it, and so he wouldn't act like he was interviewing me. But sometimes they have that, where the, 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 the show host presenter acts like they're doing the interview, when actually the interview was done by somebody else. Okay. But... The, the visual language that was developed there is that the person being interviewed is looking not straight at the camera. They're looking a little off camera. They're, you know, they're looking just, just, just slightly off camera. And we all read that. We, the viewers, all read that as though the, they're, they're talking to the reporter. We, you know, and, and, or the person that's presenting the, the, the story. So they're talking. So that's we we accept that bit of that 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 the way that looks because that's the visual language that we've learned. That when it's a situation like that, the person being interviewed isn't going to be looking straight into the camera. They're going to be looking a little off the camera because that's where the person they're talking to is sitting. They're not sitting directly behind the camera. It's different when they're doing like on CNN and they do a live interview with somebody who's in a studio somewhere else and they're looking straight into the camera. That's a little different. We understand that language, visual language as well. But 2020 does something that bothers me. And that is they have the reporter who's reporting the report seeming like they're being interviewed. They're giving you. They they have they have somebody sitting there giving information about what they've learned in their reporting, right? And the way it should be, the way it was normally done, they would be looking straight at the camera. They'd be looking at us, the audience. They are talking to us, the audience, the viewer. They're talking to us, right? So they look straight at the camera and give us this information. You know. You know, the, the husband said that he was on a golfing expedition. Are there golfing expeditions? Anyway, was out on a golfing trip with some buddies. But, you know, he, he said he was, wasn't even in the, in the, in the same county uh, when his wife was brutally murdered. You know, and they'll, they'll look at the camera and tell you that. But not 2020. What they've started doing is they have the reporter who's giving you direct information on the story is looking off camera as though they're being interviewed and i and i kept i would i would for a while there i might not even be watching the show but hey, I'm, I'm i got my headphones on and i'm entering comic books or something on my laptop and i look up and i keep seeing isn't that the reporter and i take off my headphones and i listen i said aren't they t why why is why is she looking off camera telling us the viewer this information? Why is she looking off camera? She should be looking at us. I don't understand why they do that. It's something somebody thought that's a way to do it. Let's make the person be that's reporting the story look like they're being interviewed. Because that's the view, that's the visual language that I've grown up with, that I've become used to when watching uh, uh, sort of these kinds of news magazine uh, 
shows where they're reporting on something. I've grown up, you've grown up watching these things where the reporter, when reporting information, looks at you. You're watching it. They're looking at you. They're talking to you. You're the viewer. But for some reason, for some reason, 2020 decided that they should have the reporter reporting information look off camera as though they're being interviewed. I, you know, I don't get it, and it just makes me makes me do that. <laughs> makes me do the arg thing. So yeah, it's just a little, it's just a little thing. Gets you know, yeah, it just gets a little under my skin. So I mentioned uh, space aliens there uh, a moment ago. Uh, there's a there's a there's a documentary that has uh, come out within the last year, I think. Uh, it's made by Brian Dunning, and Brian Dunning is the fellow who does the Skeptoid podcast, which is a a, a weekly podcast. It's only about 15 minutes, where Brian um, looks at a particular you know claim, uh, myth, or you know, whatever you know gives a skeptical eye at it and and tells us what science says about it tells us what is really going on right and that podcast is, i i really like it uh and it's been running for jesus i don't know <laughs> 16 years something like that it's been going for quite a while of course this show is coming up on 13 years oh no 14 years holy balls anyway <clears throat> And I got one regular listener per year. <laughs> you know, I've got like 14 listeners. I've been on for 14 years. <laughs> I know. I, I, you know, I don't know how to market. Anyway, um, uh, Brian has uh, uh, made this film about, and he's called it the UFO movie they don't want you to see. And the they in this case are the people that want you to believe that we're being visited by aliens. They don't want you to see that. They don't want you to see that here. There are plausible explanations for all of this this stuff that's going on. That that reminding people that the U in UFO and UAP, and if you don't know what UAP stands for, it's uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon, or phenomena. Uh, and and of course, UFO is unidentified flying object, and it reminds us. This this documentary and skeptics like to remind people that the U in those three-letter things in those initialisms stands for unidentified. But the way... I think that's why um, there's been this move away from calling them UFOs going over to UAP because UFOs have become synonymous with alien spacecraft. That's what it means. When you say, I saw a UFO, somebody, you know, colloquially... That's a terrible word to say. People get the idea that you are saying that you saw an alien spacecraft. When actually you saw something that you couldn't identify, it was flying in the sky, and it was an object. It was that. Uh, there was a uh, former president of ours who said almost exactly those words. And you'll see that in the, uh, in the documentary. So, I mean, the documentary has, and that, and that former president is Jimmy Carter. Because Jimmy Carter famously, uh, uh, maybe you know, not aware of this, but long before he was president, he and a group of other people saw a UFO, and he reported it. And so it's been that you know what was the Ameri It's the one American president who saw a UFO, and then everybody thinks, well, they he saw a flying saucer, uh, or or uh, you know an alien spacecraft. No. As in his words, he said, he, I saw something that, that was, uh, I, I'm not paraphrasing, I, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the exact quote, but I saw something that was, I couldn't identify, it was flying, and it was an object. So, yeah, anyway. So he, he appears in the documentary, and why? Because he was a guest on the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, which is, there's an interesting story, which they tell in the documentary, I won't, won't give away, on... How uh, how Jimmy Carter came to be interviewed by the SGU rogues uh, all those years ago? Uh, it does involve Jimmy Carter's grandson. I won't go into any more any more details than that, other than to say uh, that the grandson had said that Jay, meaning Jay Novella, one of the uh, 
one of the hosts, uh, or one of the rogues of the SGU, the host is Steve Novella, um, that Jay had asked a question about, you know, what American president, or what, you know, it's a question that dealing with the, what famous person saw a UFO, American president or something. And, well, the grandson knew the answer. Except it wasn't Jay who asked the question. <laughs> yeah, here's her pedantic moment without the sounder. It wasn't Jay who asked the question. In the documentary, they show the words that are being said, the quote, and we hear the person saying, the quote, asking the question to the, to the listeners of the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, and it's Evan Bernstein who asked the question. So uh, the president's grandson got the wrong rogue. That's fine. <laughs> it's just me being pedantic. So there's that. And there's... Um, well, so then Steve Novella shows up on there because of this particular part. Mick West, Mick West, who I played an ad for in this last break for his uh, podcast uh, down uh, Tales from the Rabbit Hole, um, which I hope is still <laughs> still a thing. I should look and make sure my, my ads are current, that the podcasts that I advertise are still podcasts. But Mick West is a guy that's uh, looked at UFO evidence in, in the line of the, the video stuff. Because he has an expertise there, and he has uh, he has people that he can reach out to. He has like t a team that each have their own expertise, and they they pool together to figure out what we're seeing in these videos. And uh, and he has there's a segment on there where he's explaining it. There's there are three astronomers in uh, in the documentary that all talk about um, uh, you know how difficult it would be to get here. They talk about how their personal belief that the universe has all kinds, or the, well, the galaxy, we'll just keep it to the galaxy, has all kinds of life in it, and that most astronomers believe that. Now, that I guess, from what I understand, uh, my friend who I was watching the documentary with had said that uh, that Brian did get some criticism of the do on the documentary because of that, uh, being too optimistic about how much life there's out there, because there are plenty of uh, astronomers and other scientists that think that no, the universe is probably pretty, you know, pretty uh, uh, barren of life. Although I will say on that uh, behalf of Brian Dunning and the and the three astronomers that he talks to, they're they're not just talking about intelligent life, and I don't know if that's what the criticism is that it's too optimistic that there's intelligent life out there. That might be it. Might not be that specific. It might be just about life, but they, they aren't just talking about intelligent life. They say it could. There's life out there, definitely, and it's you know microbial to up to intelligent life. So there's that. Um, a criticism I have of the documentary is that um, uh, Brian, in a couple of especially in the segment for that where it includes the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, when when the grandson mentions Jay, we are not explained who Jay is. The viewer does not get an explanation who he's talking about when he talks about Jay. He's, we don't get that explanation. There's yeah, and that's just a minor, minor, minor quibble. So, so you need to set that up, you know, because you can't. You, you, there's an assumption that there's, and I think there's a couple other references in there that skeptics would get, but maybe not the general public is going to get, and they're certainly not going to understand. Well, who's Jay? Jay asked the question. Who's Jay? Uh, they they might have enough information to say, well, he must be a, somebody on the skeptics guide to the universe, and, and maybe that's enough. And maybe and I'm just being you know a pedant again, and I. You know that, but that's to, for me. That's just like the minorest quibble that I have with the thing, because it's otherwise. I think it's a it's a you know, nicely done documentary. It looks good. Um, there are moments where Brian looks like he's well. We know a little behind the story because he talked about when he's doing his presentation. He's out in the uh, uh, out in the desert somewhere, and behind him is one of those giant antenna radar things, and he's. You know, and, and the idea was uh, he comes out in the morning and he starts talking. And he goes through the night, and then the next morning he comes. And he said he got really cold. It got really cold. And, and knowing that, going in watching this, there's moments in there where he he looks like he's probably cold, but he's he's bearing up pretty well. He does he does fine on camera, but there's moments where it's like okay, I can see where he's talking about. He's probably pretty cold right there. Um. So, uh, I it's a it's an hour and a half. It's on YouTube. There'll be some commercials 
in there, but it's on. And what's it's also real fun when you're watching stuff on YouTube. You're watching a skeptical program like like the UFO movie. They don't want you to see. You're watching that, and they put in an ad that has something that's not skeptical. You know, some you know, you know like super beats. You know, like superfood. There's no such thing as superfood. Super beats are just beats. There's no such thing. It's just, uh, just eat. <laughs> just eat a good balanced diet, whatever. Anyway, so you'll get ads like that. It's like, oh, great. You know, it's like I'll be watching my political stuff, which is usually pretty left wing. And I'm watching, and there's an ad for this. There's this thing, organization called Epic Times. And there's this old white dude saying, whenever woke culture starts to speak up, we have to push back. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm white, and I don't want brown people to have the same rights as me. May not be what he's saying. I might, you know, I shouldn't be unfair to him. He may not be saying that, but that's kind of what I hear. You know, we don't, you know, this this whole border crisis thing down there. It's just oh, brown people are coming here. Remember the caravans that were coming in what was it, 2020 or was it 2016 that never showed up? Remember, it's just like Republicans scaring white people that the brown people are coming. That's what they're doing, you know. And so please keep voting for us. They're going to replace us. Oh, please. Anyway. <clears throat> I was talking about the Brian Dunning thing, but every now and then you get those kinds of things happening in YouTube, uh, which it's kind of it's amusing. This is, well, <laughs> this doesn't follow the same uh, political uh, uh, ideology or the you know science um, um, promotion that what I'm watching is is. But this this ad's kind of uh, against all that. It's interesting how that works. I don't know how it works. It's just that's what happens. So. There are three things that, having watched that documentary, that I um, that I learned that I was doing wrong, and 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 I and and Brian presents uh, for me a good enough argument that oh I shouldn't be saying that. Uh, the first would be I often say that you know when I was talking about how. We haven't been visited by alien species. We uh, we aren't being visited, and we likely never will be visited by them because space is really, really big, and to be able to get here, you know, uh, is just it's it's a massive undertaking that that uh, that might not even be possible. You know, it would take generations for. Uh, you know, they, they get a, you get a spaceship going, they head to Earth, and it would take generations to get here, even you know, as fast as they can go, because they can't go faster than the speed of light. There are certain laws of physics they can't violate. They're going to be the, they're subject to the same laws oh, out that part of the galaxy as they are here, as we are here. It's just you know, and they give a good argument as to why that is so. And even if they're more intelligent than us, that doesn't mean they're going to be able to, you know, essentially wave a magic wand and be able to do something magic. It's just they can't, you can't break the laws of physics. So, I learned, though, I used to say, how would they know we're here? They wouldn't even know we're here. How do they know? But, I was disabused of that notion because we... We humans can look out into space and we can find exoplanets. That's what we call planets that are not in our solar system. We can find these planets and we can find these planets that are in what would be the Goldilocks zone, uh, you know, from their sun, which means, you know, like the Earth is in, a, in this area uh, away from our sun, uh, you know, a distance from our sun that makes it possible to not be too hot, too cold, you know, to be able to get the, enough sunlight and darkness in order to have life on the planet. So there's this area. There's an area that you have to, you know, that, that works best. For life as we know it, maybe there's some other kinds of life that we're not aware of yet, but but we can look out in the space and find these other planets. And we can also, I don't know if, I, if on the ones that we find, if we can do it with all of them, but we can look at the, the, the light that comes from it and we can do it like the spectrum of that light. And within that, we can see the chemical makeup of the atmosphere uh, of that planet. And if we see lots of carbon, if we see water, we, if we see this kind of stuff uh, through the, what's being, you know, what we're able to see through uh, uh, using the spectra vision or whatever they call it, we can say we, there's a good chance there's life on that planet. So if we spotted 
a planet like ours out there, we would be able to say that planet has life because our planet has life and the signs that you would see coming from us would be, you know, would show that this planet has life. So if a, an alien species is smart enough to do, as smart as we are to be able to figure out how to do this kind of looking at distant planets and figure out if there's life on that planet, if they're able to do that, they could find us maybe and spot and say, Ooh, look at that. That's a life filled planet. So it disabused me of the notion of how would they be able to find us? Well, they, that's how they'd be able to find us. How would they know we're here? That's how they'd know. Whether that's happened or not, I don't know. So that's one notion. The other notion is about Jimmy Carter. Uh, I had always thought it was Venus that Jimmy Carter saw. In fact, I remember uh, somebody talking about the Jimmy Carter UFO sighting story and looking into it and saying, well, if he didn't see Venus, whatever he saw was right in front of Venus. And having watched the documentary now, I realized I must be conflating. Somebody said that about another thing, and I was just putting connecting it to the Jimmy Carter UFO site because there is a, an extremely plausible reason or, or explanation of what Jimmy Carter saw that day way back when. I'm not going to give it away, even though I've, I just heard a trailer on uh, Brian's Skeptoid podcast that gives it away. But I'm not going to give it away. You can watch it and find out what it is that uh, that is very likely. And when and when President Carter heard that the explanation, he was satisfied because he's one of our scientist presidents. He was a scientist. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was another one of our scientist presidents. I don't think there were anybody else until Donald Trump, of course, who was a great scientist. Oh, fuck him. Anyway, <clears throat> I mean it. Just put the guy in prison already. I know. I'm sorry. I don't want to put you off, but oh, sorry. Anyway, and, and go buy his shoes if you like him so much. These gold piece of shit shoes that have a T on it. The T stands for traitor. Just know that. You know, the, you know the, they're the air treasons or something. Somebody came up with that name. So anyway, <clears throat> the third thing that uh, Brian has uh, has uh, challenged me not to to say is, and he said a lot of skeptics say this, and I've said it. You know, uh, of the explanations that a UFO, what a UFO could be, the one that I would see would be you know easier to accept would be that it's some sort of experimental military craft that we don't know about, and you know, and that's what that is. You know, it's, it's, I, that, I'd, I'd accept that before I'd accept that it comes from another planet. Now, I still kind of stand by that, but Brian pointed out that there's a couple reasons why uh, that, ex, that way of thinking doesn't fly. Uh, one has to do with the remoteness of the areas where these test flights are, of these aircraft are, are done. So there's not a lot of people around that would see them. Um, and the other has to do with the fact that it's still an airplane or a helicopter. It still has to follow the laws of physics. It might go faster, it might go higher, but it might be quieter, but it's, it's still an airplane or a helicopter. So anyway, so it's not going to be doing this anti-ballistic kind of flipping around and zip, zip, zip. What we're seeing is we're making a mistake. Uh, the people are seeing these UFOs and so, oh, was doing all this crazy stuff are just making a, a, a visual error in not understanding what they are seeing and, and not knowing the conditions they're seeing it in and all that. Huh. It's, it's good. The UFO movie, they don't want you to see. It's an hour and a half. It's on YouTube. Call it up and watch it. I think you might enjoy it. It'll give you a good skeptical view of what's going on with the spacecraft and kind of stuff like that. This whole idea of UFOs and, and the congressional hearings on it. Oh, please. <laughs> anyway, check it out. And now I'm going to go to my next break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons, and I'll return after this break.
You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. I am living on Channel Z. When, oh, when will someone design an exploding head emoticon? Please, someone, anyone. You're listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Valtor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. And welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. What have I got next? Oh, uh, Jon Stewart is not helping again. I said that last time I said this was when Jon Stewart showed up on the uh, Stephen Colbert show uh, during the pandemic or in the lead up to the pandemic or something. You know, it's and was was going on and on about this lab that was in Wuhan, China. This viral, this lab that studies viruses, and and he just was going on and on about it, uh, suggesting the lab leak idea. Not that the the and 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 in suggesting the lab leak idea, I have to uh, 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 I have to think that that's also encouraging the idea that the virus was man-made, that the Chinese made the virus to sick on the world. Uh, I from what I know, and I've listened to actual virologists and some of whom I think were involved in studying the the coronavirus. They, they all, every one of them was saying that there's no sign at all that this was man-made. Uh, there's no, there would be certain uh, signatures within the virus, certain signs that a virologist would be able to tell that this was, was made in a lab, was human-made. You know, there, there would be things, and they're not there. It's, it's, it came from nature. Uh, I think it's the pangolin was the vector animal. Uh, it's kind of an anteater with these little plates on it or something. I think that's what it was. Um, at first they thought maybe a bat, uh, but because quite often uh, viruses from nature, you know, find their way into humans, which are part of nature, really, but still. Uh, they find their way into humans through the vector of bats. Uh, that's A lot of times that happens. And, you know, so John Stewart was just going on and on and on. He got the name of the lab wrong, and he just... He, he just like, and I thought, and I talked about it then. He says that's not helping. You're not helping. And he's not helping here. Uh, he's come back to the Daily Show to do a once a week kind of deal. And um, and his first time back, he came back to say that uh, Joe Biden's old. Yes, Joe Biden is old. He's 81. He's old. He's when he gets reelected in November, and I'm fairly confident that he will. Uh, we just got another sign of it. It just happened again. I I know I've got friends that have said that no, Trump. If Trump's allowed to run, he's going to win. You know, and I I'm not going to completely dismiss that. But everything that's happened since Trump got elected president, uh, you know, in 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 you know, since that screwed up electoral college thing allowed him to become president, even though he didn't win the popular vote, it's a whole mess kind of thing that needs to be needs to be trashed. Let's just go by the popular vote and let's just let's go here. That's how we do governors. Why don't we do a president that way? I, it made it, the electoral college might have made sense back in the days when there was just 13 states might have made sense. Yeah, cuz otherwise you know just whoever Virginia voted for would be the cuz I think Virginia was the most populous state at the time. You know, Virginia would get its way. Maybe. I don't know. It's just, it may have made sense, but it doesn't now. It's so stupid. It's so stupid that somebody, I mean, it's one thing in 2000, Al Gore, you know, had like half a million votes more. That's really razor thin. And it's still, it should, Al Gore should have been the president. 
because he won the popular vote. But the way it worked out, you know, and I argued that you know you can't change the rules of the game after it's played. Uh, you know, you just you know that's how it was. Bush became president because he won the right districts in the right states. He won Florida, and that was enough to put him over in the electoral college. Which again, we should have at that point been saying, "Hey," and it, it's, it's happened before where a president that ended up being president didn't win the popular vote, but the electoral college got him in there. It's happened before, and now, but now it's so weird that it seems like is it going to happen every goddamn time we have an election? Can we just have somebody just win? I mean, I wanted the 2020 election to be all blue. Look at the map and just see all blue states. Even the deeply red states saying, we've had enough of this ass wipe. We had enough of the clown show. It, we've, he, he, you know, Anything that might have been positive in his first three years in office, which wasn't much. If you know, I mean, a big tax cut for rich people. Sure, okay, there you go. Uh, and then packing the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah that's great. Well, he did that, you know, some of that in the last year. You know, because Ruth Bader Ginsburg couldn't retire while Obama was president. She couldn't do that. No, no, no. She had to hang on. You know, well, you know, what are you going to do? Anyway, that last year of his presidency just, you know, threw everything down the toilet. If it hadn't already been. It already, it, it's like, it's, I would have hoped, I hoped for it. I knew it was a, a pipe dream that it wasn't going to happen. But it, that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see an absolute refutation and it pretty much though still was because biden won by seven million more votes than the popular vote than trump and he won those areas that swung the electoral college so in a lot of times as they say it comes down to like seventy thousand votes is what biden is how he won the vote by not seven million it's like seventy thousand or forty thousand or something like that just because it was those votes in those particular states that threw the electoral college to to Biden. So anyway, yeah, he's old. Yeah, he he looks he walks a little slow. We're told by the people that work with him, he's sharp. He knows what he's doing. He's attentive. He makes decisions. He guessed, he asks questions, he gathers information, he makes decisions. And John Stewart is going on, you know, he has a, a, a video montage of all these people who have worked with Biden, you know, in the job of doing the presidency, that, that, that have worked alongside of him, are all saying that this is what we see. We see a man that's on top of his game. We see a man that knows what he's doing. We see a guy that's making decisions. We see a guy that's working to, with the other side. He worked with Kevin McCarthy to get the, to, to avoid a government shutdown. Of course, that that ended McCarthy's career. Uh, uh, well, ended as Speaker of the House and then ended his career in in in, the, in politics. Or m maybe not completely, but for now it is. We we saw that that's what this guy could do. And what does John Stewart say? Do you have any film of that? That's what he said. And I and, and okay, you're not helping. Now he helps a lot in other ways. So these two little things that I've pulled, these two incidents—I won't call them little—but these two incidents, you know, with the freaking out about the virus, and then and and having a lab right there in a part of the world where viruses emerge. You know, there's one in Texas in a part of the world where viruses emerge. So they have a lab there too. <laughs> the scientists have, you know, virologists have a lab there as well. If if if. COVID had sprung from Texas, will we be thinking that the Texans have unleashed it on the world on purpose? China might think that America did. Anyway. And now, he's old. Yeah, You know, the other guy is also old. The other guy is also not in very good shape. I mean, in addition to being old, he's not in good shape. Not, not that Biden's not in good shape. Biden is in much better shape, eats better, exercises, meditates, does yoga. He does, you know, he's he, this, this I, apparently he does all this kind of stuff, reads books. And you got Trump who eats shit, looks like shit. Look at him. Does this man look healthy? He needs help walking down this gentle ramp. He has to drink water by holding with two hands. He makes gaffes like they just if he's speaking, he's gaffing. 
unless he's lying, and he's always lying. He thinks Nancy, he thinks Nikki Haley, you know, was in charge of was the Speaker of the House. We offered Nikki Haley ten thousand. We offered no, you didn't. You didn't offer Nikki Haley that. And I, I have my doubts that you offered Nancy Pelosi that. Nancy Pelosi isn't in charge of security of Washington, D.C. So, <clears throat> anyway. <clears throat> so he's, a, you know, and he's a total prick. <laughs> and a liar and a con, man. And he should be in prison. He attempted to steal an election. Whether you like it or not, he attempted to steal an election. He was the one that, we stopped the steal from him. So anyway. So Joe's old. I will link to this. Lawrence O'Donnell uh, is a left guy, and he's on MSNBC, and he has a, a fairly lengthy segment addressing this and other issues. He talks about the 1968 Democratic uh, National Convention, which had a lot of violence. Uh, he talks, you know, it had a contested uh, uh, nomination process, and that's you know that's not good. It's good for the other party. You know, he talked about that, and he talked, and he talked about. He mentions John Stewart talking about. Did you have any film of that? And Lawrence points out because Lawrence has some experience working in government, working alongside of, of of presidents. He has some experience there, and he says the real work of the presidency is not televised. You know, when we see him giving speeches and when the president giving speeches and making public appearances, he says that's the lower end of the importance of what the presidents do. Uh, presidents do. It's not, you know, that's not the job. It's part of the job, but that's not the job. The job, and as, as Lawrence Donald said it, he says the governing will not be televised. The decision-making, all that stuff that's going on, the job of the presidency is is not something that we watch. So he makes that point. And then he talks about Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who uh, I think in his late 20s or in his 30s, he, he developed polio, got polio, lost the use of his legs, ran for president, couldn't walk. You know, he would be have these apparatus that he would look like he's kind of walking, but he'd always be holding on to somebody. He'd be standing up, and it, it would just be kind of like a he can lean back and forth and move himself forward. You know, it's, and but he'd be holding somebody. He'd be standing and holding the podium. We'd see him, the, the, the and the reporters all knew that he was in a wheelchair the rest of the time. They all knew that, but there's very few pictures of FDR in a wheelchair. And he 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 won election. I think it was 1932 was his first. He won his first term, won again in 36, won again in 40, won again in 44. Four terms. Now, he, he only got two months into that last term before he died. And he was like 66 or something like that. He was not old. But he was ravaged by disease. You know, the, the polio, you know, had, you know, taken its toll on him. And, you know, he was aging. He was... He was running for his fourth term, and he was essentially dying. And the reporters knew that, but didn't report on it. He got reelected. He was working with, you know, the, the the he was working with Churchill and Stalin and 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 and, and the generals and all that into figuring out the war plans. And do, he was engaged. He was doing all this stuff, and he was dying. And I got a quote here from Lawrence O'Donnell. A couple of them here. It's just, uh, he's um, he talked about this of FFDR. Uh, uh, he said uh, he could be awakened in the night with the latest uh, battle news from World War in World War II, even as his physical energy was seeping out of him. He was always ready to do his job. And then Lawrence went on to say. And no, we don't have any film of that. Good night, Herr Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. Okay, well, that's the end of another show. Uh, you've been listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. 
Uh, I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons, reminding you to be skeptical and extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence and that you should sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. My life, you're clever, Dimmy. It's certainly taken me in. Well, well I'm going, going to hell. hell.